0: If you would turn in your Bibles, please, to Philippians. Paul's letter to the Philippian church, chapter 3. I want to begin with this, because I I really feel that the spirit of this is uh, where the core of my message is this morning, and thank you, Pastor Zach, for the opportunity to preach uh, after that uh, series in 2 John, we'll be referencing that in just a moment. Philippians chapter 3 verses 7 through 11 the word of god says, but whatever gain i had i counted as loss for the sake of christ. indeed i count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead." And let me just start right there with that statement before we pray. Lest you think that our salvation is insecure, that possibly you could lose it if you're a true child of God, As we read it in context with the rest of the Scripture, we know that that's not true, praise God. We're held sealed by the Holy Spirit, held until the day of redemption. No, I think Paul is talking about his desire is so great to be with the Lord in heaven and that grace is so astounding and so amazing that even a sinner like him who once agreed with those who murdered and incarcerated Christians and agreed with them, that he should be saved as well. And here he's talking about all that stuff from my past, everything, all my credentials, I count them as loss. My sermon this morning is in the form of a question, do you know him? Do you know him? And that's really where we're going this morning. Let's pray. Our Father, we're grateful for the word of God because it comes from the living word. And there is nothing greater in this life or the next than to know him. But indeed, Lord, first we are known of you. That you would stoop to know us. To make yourself known. And that we might know you. And become like you and live with you, not just in heaven, but every day of our lives here as children of the living God. We pray that the word of God would powerfully impact our thinking, our attitude, our actions, our faith, our sense of purpose, our joy, our peace, and our goal. For this we'll thank you in the name of your son Jesus, amen. On sabbatical uh, for those two and a half months and I wanna say to all the churches, this is my first public opportunity to, to say so, thank you on behalf of my wife and I very much for the investment that you made as a church in our lives, praying for us, encouraging us, allowing us to be gone that long and the financial support as well during that period of time. It was deeply needed and it was a deep blessing. Uh, we, our prayer was that God would lead us to the voices he wanted us to hear and he was faithful to do so. We were greatly encouraged, received some physical rest, but really um, some emotional and spiritual encouragement as well and grateful for that. So my thoughts today really arise out of much of my pursuit during that time of sabbatical. And so I'm gonna share this with passion this morning and trust that you have your Bible ready. And we're gonna be looking at some scriptures and referencing a number of scriptures. So my challenge to you and invitation to you to begin with is that you have a pen ready or a pencil and in your bulletin you jot down the biblical references because there is not time to do all of them justice. So if you'll make it your goal to write them down as you hear them, and the first one is this, Psalm 139, verses one through six. Our core passage is that one we just read in Philippians three, but Psalm 139, verses one through six, where the word of God says this, to the choir master, a Psalm of David, O Lord, O Yahweh, you have searched me, and what does it say? attain it." Here's my point with this passage of Scripture. God knows you fully and intimately. Are you breathing this morning? You feel yourself take a breath? You can hear what I'm saying. Most of you you see me. God is sustaining that breath. That same God who literally is holding your life in his hands right now, he knows you better than you know yourself, and he knows you intimately. Secondly, would you look quickly at Romans chapter 1, verse 21? and I can just read this for you quickly, but you'll wanna jot that down. This is that great beginning of this wonderful treatise, theological treatise that the Apostle Paul writes to the Romans, and he is talking about the natural man's attitude towards God. And in verse 21, we read this. For although they knew God, Now he starts off this passage by talking about his wrath is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We heard about some of those people in last week's message, by the way, in 2 John. But here in verse 21 he says, although these people, they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him You know, it's one thing to know God, as we know, and and to intellectually assent that there may be a God, but to surrender to him as the God of your life, as your Lord and King, that's a whole nother matter. And unfortunately, most of the world around us does not surrender to him, recognize him as the Lord of their lives. They don't honor him as God, give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Here's my second point in my introduction. First, God fully knows you intimately. Secondly, most humans reject him. R.C. Sproul coined the phrase years ago, cosmic treason. We are, when we reject God, Without the Lord Jesus Christ, every single one of us who has ever been born prior to coming to know Christ, we are cosmic traitors. Why? Because there is no authority higher than God's. I want you to think about walking up to some high government official, whether it be the president of the United States or a Supreme Court justice or even the governor or the mayor of your town and just walking up to him and spitting in his face and slapping him or her Now that would be heinous and Probably 99.9% of us would not do that. We might think about it sometimes, but we wouldn't do it but how often do we in essence do that very thing The human beings, do that very thing to the God of the universe who spoke all things into existence and sustains all life. He is the sovereign Lord and King of everyone. And if you don't believe it, I pray to God that he will convict your heart and you will believe it before you have to bow your knee before him and confess that he is Lord to the glory of God. That would be an awful day. If you get all the way to that position of standing before, and you will stand before God, all of us, those of us who are watching online this morning or in the days to come, and those of us who are sitting here, we will stand before God. Let us not be cosmic traitors. And then the third passage of Scripture is the one we already read in Philippians chapter 3. verses uh, verses seven through 11. Those who truly know him, here's my point for that passage of scripture, pursue him as the highest prize. He is the greatest treasure. There is nothing greater than knowing and being known of God. And so the goal of the person who knows this, that God truly loves you fully and intimately and knows you, and that rejection is foolhardy. Those of us who know this, we pursue him with a passion, with our hearts on fire. But we do it at great cost. This is not something that can be done easily. And I think it's very unfair for us as pastors or teachers of the Bible to suggest that people can enter into the kingdom of God flippantly. That it's okay for us to just say yes to the love of God and and accept the gentle Savior. Lots of language about you accepting Jesus. Um, and, And I understand that language and I don't disagree with it. But unfortunately what a lot of people think when they hear that language is is that Jesus comes kind of begging at the door of your heart, oh please, please, please let me in. That's not the case. He's the Lord of glory. And so when he comes to us, he lovingly accepts us, washes us clean and gives us real life, but he doesn't promise us an easy life. When you choose to passionately pursue Jesus Christ, it will be at great cost. Face it now, strengthen yourself in that truth and strengthen your brothers and sisters in Christ. Edify one another, build one another up in this holy faith because this world is a battle zone and we will go bloodied and beaten and bruised all the way onto the shores of heaven. Now that doesn't mean there's not joys and comforts along the way, but folks it's a challenge. So, we've heard a lot about this from our pastor and it's been repeated throughout uh, our church family for months and months and months. Our corporate vision of build, share, and bring. Build the relationship. Share the story of the gospel. Bring people into community under the sound of that gospel. This core message is essentially, absolutely essentially established upon the person of Jesus Christ. If it's not, it will fail. If you are establishing that sense of vision and mission, Upon anyone or anything else, your own energy, your own commitment, your own fierce drive to do something great, or just to be a part of this family and feel like you're a part of it, it's going to fail eventually. You're going to run out of energy. You're not going to make it up the hill. It must be essentially established upon the person of Jesus Christ and the unity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The whole Trinity is involved in the process of build, share, and bring. We clearly heard the importance of this from Pastor Zach's messages in 2 John the last few weeks. As a church family, and I want you to hear me on this, we are only as centered, mature, and effective on mission as are our individual members of the body. In other words, West Hill Baptist Church will never be more beautiful, more powerful, more effective on mission, more capable at meeting needs, comforting people, caring for the body, sharing the gospel, discipling people. We will never be as a church any more effective than you are in your own personal life in Jesus Christ. The responsibility is on you and it is on me. Let's not wiggle out from underneath that. If you're gonna be a person on mission, you have to take your own individual life in stock. You have to personally pursue Jesus Christ. And you have a responsibility, look around you. Just look around you at the people around you right now. Go ahead, look around you, behind you, in front of you, aside, those people are your brothers and sisters and they need encouragement and you need to build them up, hear their prayer requests, weep with them, rejoice with them, work with them, encourage them, and the one that you're looking at needs to do it to you. None of us are let off the hook with this. This is what it means to pursue Jesus Christ and be a part of the body of Christ. If we're gonna build, share, and bring successfully, your personal life matters. There is no possible way Now I want you to hear this carefully. All right? Don't read between the lines. I'm going to just say what I'm going to say. There is no possible way to properly grow in your spiritual life by attending a one-hour service a week. Not even with the addition of a small group. Now, let me make the qualifying statement here. Those things, this Our, here, and small groups are essential. They are essential parts of the health of the body of Christ. That's why we have them. They're essential for you personally. They're essential for your small group. They're essential for us as a church family. But they alone are not sufficient to inoculate you and me against the world and wow, is the world powerful and in your face all the time, in my face all the time. But it's not just the world, it's my own flesh. I want to sit down and put my feet up and binge on Netflix. I want to hang out or take a nap. Or, and there are things to do, there are things that I have to do. I have to say to myself in the spirit of God, Eric, get up. It's time for you to pray. It's time for you to read your Bible. It's time for you to seek the Lord. Your heart's getting a little cold. You need to be inflamed. You can't be inoculated through two two simple corporate times together in a week against the world, against your own flesh, and certainly against a devil who is seeking your destruction. Literally. Much less equip you for mission life. So we're not talking about just existing. Oh boy, I gotta get myself to Sunday, take my Bible off the back seat of my car, or off the floor, or blow the dust off of it, and then come to church and expect that this is going to be the magic silver bullet that destroys the power of the world, the flesh, and the devil in your life and gives you victory over sin. No. Therefore, as an individual known and desired by God, I have three major points. The first one is this. Are you biblically informed about God's presence. Are you biblically informed about God's presence? And write these references down. Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. Now, those of you who know, kind of know your Bibles, you know that this is the account in the garden where sin was introduced. And in verse 8, we read this. Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord "'God, walking in the garden in the cool of the day, "'and the man and his wife hid themselves "'from the presence of the Lord God "'among the trees of the garden. "'But the Lord called to the man and said to him, "'Where are you?' "'And he said, I heard the sound of you, Adam said this, "'in the garden, and I was afraid, "'because I was naked, and I hid myself.'" Adam and Eve recognized God's presence that at that moment they felt terrified of and went to hide from. They recognized that presence because they shared in his presence all the time. They were in pure communion with God. They walked with him and talked with him. God had had conversations with Adam. He'd given him specific instructions. There was an openness in this relationship. That's how they recognized him. They knew him. God desired also to fellowship with them. Or what about Psalm 23? Most of us at least know a little portion of it. Why don't you say it with me? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, amen. Now, this heart-wrenchingly beautiful, amazing prayer song clearly illustrates God's very personal shepherding of our lives now and forever. Do you dwell upon that when you think about the presence of God? What about John 1, 14? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1.14. God was so and is so desirous of a relationship with you and I that he sent his own Son in human flesh. Now, can you imagine any other God, any other God amongst the pantheon of gods of all of human history, that would so deliberately and graciously offer his presence to his creation? Who would so graciously and persistently pursue you in the midst of your sin, in the midst of your your rebellion, in the midst of your treason? Number two, are you consciously and practically perceiving the presence of God. Are you practically, consciously perceiving the presence of God? As one classic author of about 400 years ago wrote, are you practicing the presence of Christ? Are you practicing the presence of Christ? In Exodus 3, God calls out of a burning bush to Moses. Moses is curious. He sees the bush burning, but it's not consumed. He goes over. God speaks to him, and he says, Moses. And he says, I'm here, Lord. He says, take the shoes off your feet. You're standing on holy ground. He has a private conversation with Moses. God will use many circumstances to awaken our perception of him, of himself. Some of them will be very pleasant things, and some of them will not be pleasant Are you going through a hard time right now? Like some of my friends that I've been praying for recently. They're battling cancer, some other chronic illness. Do you think that God is caught unaware? That God does not seek his glory and your good even through that? As if the worst thing that could happen in our lives is that we would die physically. No, the worst thing would, not to, would be not to know him and not be forever with him in heaven. So God uses unpleasant things sometimes to pique our awareness, to wake us up out of our sleep and say, I am here, I love you, I know you, and I want you to know me and love me. I have great things to do in your life. I'm gonna glorify my name and I'm gonna do you good ultimately, even though it may be unpleasant. Or Psalm 119, verse 18, a prayer that I have prayed since I became a believer. Lord, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Psalm 119, verse 18. That's been my prayer every morning when I have my devotions. God, open my eyes. You're the author of the book. How can I understand it if I don't ask for your help? Lord, I'm begging you, open my eyes. Open my perception to your presence. Let me understand your word. May your Holy Spirit apply it to my life. When we understand our need and desire his presence, we ask for it. Don't be afraid to ask for it. Ask him for it. Say, I struggle to read. Ask for help. I fall asleep when I read. Ask for help. I don't understand it when I read it. Ask for help. In Luke 24, we read a passage that talks about the the two disciples on the Emmaus Road after the death of Jesus and the burial. They don't know that he's risen from the dead. And they're walking along, and Jesus comes alongside of them. He asks them, what are you so sad about? They don't recognize him. He says, well, you must be a stranger around here because big things have been happening. And Jesus, a powerful prophet who we thought was going to be the King of Israel, has been put to death and basically we're lost, we don't know what to do. And he said, oh, you're foolish, you're slow. And he begins to open up the Scriptures and explain from the beginning to the end about the Savior, about Himself. And it says at the end of that in Luke 24. I'll see if I can find it here. When he was at table with them, he took the bread, verse 30, and blessed and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they got up and left and ran back to Jerusalem right away. They were so excited. His perceived presence causes our hearts to burn. Nothing else satisfies like Him. Here was my prayer this morning, and is often my prayer before I come to church. Lord, would you manifest your presence here? Show yourself through Andrew and the team when they sing and lead us, through the spoken word and the prayers, through the preaching, through our response and reception of the preached word, through our fellowship in the hall. Lord, I want your presence to come down so powerfully that we'll never be satisfied with our old lives. We're not gonna be satisfied with church as usual. I want something different, better, more powerful. I want my heart to burn. The understanding and realization of God's literal presence must awaken our perception in ways that cause you and I to walk and talk with him through the day. If your heart burns for him, you want to talk to him. You want to walk with him. You want him to be a part of your day. You want to practice his presence. Are you actively, daily pursuing God? And that's my third point. First, are you biblically informed about His presence? Second, are you consciously and practically perceiving His presence? And third, are you actively daily pursuing God and His presence? In Matthew 4.19, He told His disciples, follow me and I will what? Make you fishers of men. Follow me. Hear my heart. Watch me. Listen well. I'm going to model for you. I'm going to bring you along. I'm going to teach you. You're going to have the privilege of walking with the God of the universe in human flesh. And I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Why? Because that's my heart. I want to win people. They need to hear the gospel. They need to come from out of darkness and go into light. They need to have hope. Otherwise, they're lost and they will die and they will be forever forever separated from my love. And I don't want that. So... My desire is to be a fisher of men and I'm going to make you a fisher of men. You begin to see the need and the opportunity everywhere. All of a sudden your eyes are open to the gas station, the guy that you go, the attendant or the gal who's in there that you give your credit card or your money to when you pay your nearly four dollars per gallon. <clears throat> so and you, know, you want to be mad but I mean the poor person back there is, you know, they're having to live with the results of this too. So. We go in there, Do our eyes open to them? Do we speak kindly to them? Do we love on them? Do we show an interest in their personal lives? In other words, do we view them as someone that Christ loves and came for and died for? In Luke chapter nine, verses 23 through 26 is the wonderful passage, the powerful passage that is disturbing, hard to understand in some ways, But he said, if anyone would come after me, let him or her deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life, this is Luke chapter 9, verse 23, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man? if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the son of man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. There were some burning hearts there that got a special privilege. But Jesus is saying, there's gonna be a cost, and you begin to see value in self-denial. Is it natural for us to say, oh, yippee, I get to deny myself this or that? No, we want what we want, when we want it, how much of it we want, we, we just want what we want. Gimme, give gimme, give gimme! Give We're a consumer society, and we are not accustomed to being uncomfortable or denying ourselves any, anything. But when we begin to see the value, <clears throat> pardon me, when we see the value of this, then we understand that it's worth me giving some things up. It's worth me fasting from something and instead replacing it with some moments of prayer, whether it be lunch or television or if you're a guy just sitting and vegging. (laughs) You know, there are some things that we have to give up We deny ourselves to serve others. Family is an important little vehicle for conveying that self-denial. And in Matthew 11, this was a passage of scripture that Pastor Zach and I preached through back in October on the 31st. And we, uh, we taught through it fairly carefully in preparation for an understanding about Sabbath and about the sabbatical. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30, Jesus says this, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for or because I am gentle and lowly in heart. Some of you who have received a copy of that book from me or one of your teachers or someone else in this church Read that great book by Dane Ortland, Gentle and Lowly. If you haven't received one and you want one, see me. I'll get you a copy, one per family, and I would encourage you to read about the great, huge heart that Jesus has for you. And he says, come to me. I, I'll, I'm gonna give you rest. Take my yoke, learn from me. Why? Because I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, you understand and rest in the great paradox. Choose the yoke of Jesus in order to find real rest. That doesn't make sense to the rest of the world. I don't want to yoke myself to that crazy Christianity. It'll just give me a list of things that I can't do. It'll steal all my fun away, I don't wanna listen to all those hypocrites. They misunderstand. This is the beautiful paradox of the Christian life and of relating to Jesus and pursuing Christ. You choose the yoke of Jesus in order to find real rest. So how do we take the yoke of Jesus? I was reading a beautiful explanation of this by Bill Gaultier from Soul Shepherding. And he said, the yoke is the teaching standard of our rabbi, Jesus Christ. Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. If you followed him as as, as your savior, he's your rabbi. And you should be apprenticing under him. And when you apprentice under the rabbi Jesus, you take his yoke on you. That's his standard of teaching. It's what he taught his disciples, his Talmudim his followers, his apprentices. In part, this yoke can easily be expressed through an understanding of what we call spiritual disciplines. And if you've been in Mark McGlott's, how many of you have been in Mark McGlott's Sunday school class in recent months? You had the privilege of studying through some of the spiritual disciplines in Don Whitney's book. What a great privilege that was for you. I want to list those. Bible intake, is one of the first spiritual disciplines. It's the primary source of truth for life and it's the clear expression of God's heart for you. Bible intake. Do you read your Bible? More than in church and at small group. How about prayer? Prayer completes the connection for real communication with God with eternal results. When you get connected to God, he talks to you through his word, you speak back to him, and he also speaks to your spirit through prayer as well. There is a constant cycle of communication with the living God. Prayer, worship, choosing to give God the worth he is due. Do you come in with that attitude on a Sunday morning? Evangelism, you sense solidarity with the mission of the Trinity. When you have a heart for others and you desire to be a fisherman and your technique may be completely different from mine, but you just know that there are people all around you, as we spoke about before, who need the gospel. When you recognize that you're a person on mission, then you're sensing solidarity with the mission of the Trinity because this is the heart of God. Serving, this enlarges our hearts for needs beyond ourselves. Stewardship, we care little of things in which we don't invest. We care deeply about the things that we invest in. Stewardship, what are you investing in? Fasting, I talked about this before. Fasting sharpens our spiritual sense. It's uncomfortable, it forces us to think about God, to pray, it sharpens our senses spiritually. Silence and solitude, which leads to Sabbath. If you don't leave room for God, how can you expect to hear him? If you're constantly talking internally and externally, is it hard for people to get a word through to you? Blah, 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 all the time. Radio, cranking. TV, cranking. Cell phone, cranking. You leave no room for God to speak to you much less human beings. We isolate ourselves. Silence and solitude, at least once a week. Journaling, this process, no matter how simple, may truly be God's voice to you today. When you read scripture and pray, write down some of the things that come to you. Learning, don't check your brain at the door when you come here, or go to small group. And stop making excuses for biblical ignorance. Here's a a trend that I've seen, and I'm just about done here. This is a trend that I've seen in the modern American church. We have worked so hard to make our faith simple and palatable to people that we have gutted much of the heart of it. And people just are picking only the low-hanging fruit. Where is our depth? Where is our understanding? Where is our ability to tell our children and our grandchildren what the gospel is and why we've chosen to live the way we live? That's on you. If you're a dad and you have to bring your child to me to explain why they should trust Jesus as Savior and what sin is, And why they should maybe get baptized or serve the Lord or tell other people about Jesus, I I say it kindly. I I really do. I say it lovingly because I know that some of you are in maybe in the early stages of this, but shame on you. Don't make excuses for your ignorance about the Bible. Keep learning. And don't come up and tell me, I just don't read. Learn to read. Make yourself read. Start with the Bible. This passage of scripture in Matthew 11 leads me to this quote from Augustine of Hippo. He wrote this, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Where have you practically been turning real fulfillment, real purpose, real peace, real rest, To where have you been turning for those things? Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Folks, there's no other way. There's no other person. There's no other method. Quit looking for fancy gadgets. Just get into the scripture and pray and process things and get quiet before him and learn what his heart is and let your heart burn for Jesus Christ and for others. So here's some questions to take you out the door. Where else can you go for real life? The kind of life that God created you to enjoy. I came, he said, so that you could have life and have it to the full. God's presence is real and literal. Are you learning and growing in that realization? Are you recognizing his presence every day? Are you perceiving and pursuing him? And if so, how? If not, and this is my last question, why not? Our pastors, our deacons, and maturing followers want to help you. For you to ignore the resources of godly women and men who are growing in the faith and have been here and been through the seasons of life, your lack of taking advantage of that resource speaks volumes to your lack of commitment and heart for your spiritual life. If you're struggling, you have plenty of people to come to and ask for help. You have all the resources and most of all, you have a God who knows you and loves you and longs for you to come to him every single day. Do you know him? Father, thank you so much for your love to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. There is nothing greater than to be known and to know you. I want to know you more, Lord. I want to walk in your presence, I want to have your heart so that my heart will burn with passion for you and for others. Please, God, work in our midst. Help us not to be content to wander aimlessly through our spiritual lives, but to be people on mission and to draw near to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.